Turn back to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're coming up to that second part of this morning's message uh, uh, that we'll have up here. Who, who should consider, and we're going to look at that in just a moment, but first I want us to consider what does it, I want us to look at what does it mean to consider. So you can leave this up here, Brother Royce, uh, we'll get to this in just a moment, but we're in Hebrews chapter 12. You can remain seated. We're going to move right along through this. We have quite a bit to go over and uh, to cover. But I want us to, to, to finish off this sermon this morning uh, by this word consider. Because that's, that's the, the, the premise of our theme for this year. It's the foundation of our Christmas season this past year. And really and quite honestly, I want it to be the, the theme or the foundation of our church going forward. Uh, moving forward, this consider Him. And so, <clears throat> which ties in greatly with our tagline, if you've ever seen, I think it's on the, the theme slide, uh, Calvary Baptist Church, doctrine that's worth the drive, amen? Uh, because pretty much, unless you live across the street or, or four minutes down the road, uh, it's a drive to get here from just about anywhere. You have a home, and that's, that's, that's anywhere in this town. You've got to drive a little bit. There's some mountains and things. And that's okay, because doctrine is worth the drive. Amen? The Word of God, studying it together. And uh, so this considering Him is going to help us lay that foundation. But I want us to look at what does it mean to consider. Verse number 3, Consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Now, we know what we understand to mean when we say, well, consider this. We, we know that it means to think on or maybe to ponder uh, this possibility. I want us to look, if you will, very quickly at Psalm 64. Psalm 64 <clears throat> together. Now, it's really hard to preach after eating because I got all, I just, all I want to do after I eat a good lunch with some dessert is get a good cup of coffee and sit back and then just kind of go to sleep, <laughs> amen? Uh, uh, or as my grandfather used to say, go into a diabetic coma. That's kind of what you, you, what you want to do uh, a little bit sometimes. Uh, uh, but anyway, we're going to power through it. We're in Psalm 64, and I want us to look at these first uh, first 10 verses. Well, it's the whole chapter. Let's look at the whole chapter. Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me in the secret counsel, uh, from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him, and fear not. Verse 5. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privily. They say, who shall see them? They search out iniquities. Now that's a key word. Search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search, both the inward thought of every one of them, and the heart is deep. Now they're talking about the David's praying for protection uh, here against the evildoers, and they see that the evil man searches out, diligently searching uh, uh, out for their iniquities. Verse 7, But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. 
so they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away, and all men shall fear, and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider His doing. Now that's in comparison to searching out or diligently searching out iniquities. They're wisely considering now His doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in Him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. So we see that we can learn from the Word of God that's diligently searching and considering are used interchangeably. If you looked up the word consider, it would give you a very simple definition to think seriously, to think maturely, to think carefully, or to reflect. There's another synonym that we would use when we think of consider, and that word is meditate. Because that's what you're doing when you're meditating, you're considering, you're thinking, you're reflecting on whatever you're meditating on. Now, the New Age modern movements have taken biblical words and twisted them and used them in such a way that it causes Bible believers to try to avoid those words. And so instead of saying meditate, now we say that we have devotions. And I just still, you know my go-to on that. I find it interesting that the only time we see the word devotion in the Word of God, it's used in pagan worship. Not by God's people in Bible study. But the psalmist David said that he would meditate upon his word. And so they've caused us to change our viewpoints. And now we have devotion. Look, we're not having devotions. We should be meditating on God's word. Now I know that some, because that word is so ingrained in modern Christianity, when we have our uh, Baptist bread, you know, we call them our devotionals. You know, I'm not mad at any. I'm not going to smack someone and you know and I, you know what i mean it's just that says well i did my i i i was reading in my daily devotional you, you know you know what i but we need to understand that we don't need to let modern new ageism rob us of what the word of god tells us we should be doing meditation on the word of god is a good thing and when we are considering him what are we doing we're diligently searching we're meditating thinking, reflecting on the Word of God. Look at Psalm 143. Psalm 143. This morning we looked at why we should consider Him. Why it's important. As Bible believers, as Christians. This afternoon we're looking at what it means to consider Him. And then we're going to look at who is going to consider Him, or what type of people... And that's what we're going to look at. And that will lead us into our transition this year uh, over the events that we have and some things that we're praying about implementing and things that we are no longer praying about implementing, we, we, we're going to implement. Amen? That'll be a help for us. Um, and so to consider, to meditate. So look at 143. Psalm 143. And we're just going to read uh, the first six verses here. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications, in thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. And enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul, he hath smitten my life down to the ground, he hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. 
Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. I remember the days of old. Now, the psalmist David, under persecution of soul, under attack, the spirit is overwhelmed. Verse 4, what helps him? Remember, we're weary, we're faint. What do we do? Consider Christ. Look at verse 5. I remember the days of old. I what? Meditate on all thy works. I meditate on all thy works. So when he says he's remembering the days of old, what's he remembering? The goodness of God. He's remembering how God has already brought them through. God has already redeemed them. God has already blessed them. And so we see, I remember the days of old. I meditate, consider, reflect, search diligently on all thy works. I muse. Muse and meditate used interchangeably. I muse on the work of thy hands. Stretch forth my hands unto thee, my soul what? Thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. Now there's that word that's prophetic. Selah. Now we're not going to take the time because we just don't have it this morning or this afternoon to follow this Selah all the way through. But I presented it to you in such a way that I hope that it would whet your appetite, so to speak, to go and to search this thing out. Amen? I'm not saying we'll never do it. We're not going to do it this morning because we have other things to cover. Amen? But look that word Selah. And then look, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. And compare that to the Jews looking for their Messiah as the Antichrist has established himself on the throne of David as God. What are the Jews going to do? Well, the God-fearing Jews are going to flee. Amen? They're going to flee. Woe unto those that give suck in that day. That's what the Bible says in Matthew. Woe unto them. Because they're going to have to leave. Don't go home. Don't get your stuff. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Amen? They're going to flee for their life. What are they thirsty for? They're thirsty for deliverance. Where are they going to find deliverance in Jesus Christ? Notice though, the psalmist David, I stretch forth my hands. He's meditating on all his works and he stretches forth his hands unto Christ. Why? Because Christ is the only one that can quench the thirsty soul. Now if you'll remember in Psalm 6, or or, or rather I believe it was actually Psalm 107, the psalmist David said that he hungered and thirsted. We saw that. The hungering and the thirsting. Look with me at Matthew chapter 5. Now this passage should be fairly familiar. Matthew chapter 5, because this is commonly known as the Beatitudes, the teachings of Christ Jesus, and this is the very first part of that. Now prophetically, the teachings of Christ and the Beatitudes, this is not how the world operates right now. The meek are not inheriting the earth. They're not. The strong, the ones with the biggest weapons, they're inheriting the earth right now. This teaching is how the earth will operate when Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning from the throne of God. But this teaching is how our spirit should operate because Jesus Christ should already be the Lord and Savior, King of our hearts. Amen? 
Notice verse 6, or verse 5, or verse 6. Verse 5 we quoted. Blessed are they which do what? Hunger and thirst after? Because what's going to happen? They'll be filled. David's soul thirsted. David's soul was hungry. And when he considered, when he meditated on the works of God, what did it say? He was filled. That's how we are filled spiritually. If we're hungering and thirsting after the things of God. So how do we consider Him? We search out diligently. We meditate. We reflect on the works of the hand of God. And we should hunger and thirst. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been reading your Bible? Maybe you sat down at night and you just thought, you know, I've not read. And then you start reading it. And then all of a sudden you look in the middle or you see a cross-reference. And you go, I wonder what this means or why this is here. And then you flip over and you look at the cross-reference and you go, well, that's really interesting. I wonder how that ties. And then you kind of go to the next verse. Or maybe you're just reading a chapter and you're seeing what God is doing or you're seeing what Jesus is teaching. And then you can't put... Next thing you know, you've read four or five chapters. What is that? You're starting to thirst after the things of God. And you can't put it down. Kind of like, kind of like Sprite. Amen? Quench your thirst. But the only thing that can quench the thirst for the hungry and thirsty soul that's a Christian is the Word of God. This, Jesus Christ, is the wellspring of life. And whenever you get to where you're sitting... I do this all the time. I'll say, hey, I'm going to run over. You can ask Beth. I'm going to run over there real quick. Uh, I'm going to put this out and I'm going to print this and then uh, jot a couple things down. I won't be more than 10 minutes. And the next thing I know, my phone's ringing and I've been over here for two hours uh, in my office (laughs) with the door closed and I've got a cup of coffee and I've already drank almost all of it and I've gone through five or six passages of Scripture. Why? Because you kind of get lost in it. Because you start getting thirsty for more. And you can't put it down and you can't, you, you can't stop because you're, you're, in great, you're deep in the reading and the meditating. You're seeing, then was Jesus led up of the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. But wait a second, the Bible says God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But then we realize the devil tempted Jesus and he didn't tempt him with evil. He tempted him with things that were rightfully his to begin with. You see how that, and then you go, well, now wait, but what about, and the next thing you know, you're in some obscure passage that doesn't have, and you just, why? That's thirst, thirsting. That's what that thirst will lead you to do. What happens when, you've, when you're parched and you're thirsty? What do you do? You go find water. When your soul is thirsty for the things of God, what do you do? You go find water. You go find bread. So when we're considering Him, what we're talking about is we're imploring you. We're imploring you to get hungry and thirsty for this above all else. And I mean everything else. You should desire this more than you desire time with your spouse. Now that, that, that rarely will ever get an amen. Why? Because in modern culture, it's all about we got to build up the home. we got to make sure that you're spending quality time with your spouse. Well, I get that. But if you're ignoring God for your spouse, then you're putting spouse in front of God. Now what do you have? Idols. Idols. Anything you put before God is a what? Idol. Do we believe that? Amen or not? 
Some of us. Amen. Amen. Anything you put before God is an idol. No, no. Now listen, the Lord wants me to love my husband. Yes, He does, but He wants you to love him more. But God wants me to spend time with my husband to make my marriage work. But if you have a Christian marriage where Christ is absent, it's not going to work properly anyway. Amen. Amen. You see where we're going with this? So I told you, this is, this is segueing us. Amen. And our consider Him. What is my ultimate goal? What is my end game here? What is my ultimate goal as your pastor? I want you to love God more than you love anything or any person in this world. Anything and any person. Now here's the thing. And we said this, we read that Spurgeon quote. Man, I wish I had it with me. We read that Spurgeon quote Wednesday. If we love Christ like we should, do you know what that's going to do? It's going to resonate a love that Christ has within us. And then men, we're going to be godly men that love the way Christ loves. Which leads us to who should consider Him? First, godly men. Who should consider Him? Godly men. Men, we need to put Christ before everything else in our life. And I mean everything. Before whatever it is, you fill in the blank. Now I could say spouse, and all the wives would roll their eyes. Amen. Now maybe some... Not so much. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you have married the perfect man that loves you and showers you and does all these things and you never have arguments. And Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, we can just pray and go home, Brother Jerry says. It. <laughs> Amen. Miss Imogene married the perfect man. All right. Maybe that's how it works. But for the other 99.9% of marriages, amen, <laughs> the rest of us, our homes are not perfect, far from it. And you know whose responsibility it is to make sure that we have a home that hungers and thirsts for the things of God? Amen. Men, it's ours. It's not our wives. It's not our children's. It's ours. Look quickly with me at 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Now here's the wonderful thing about the second half. None of this is new information. But it's information we tend to forget because it's so basic and elementary to the Christian life that we often overlook it when we really need to get back to the foundation of it all. 1 Corinthians 16, look at verse 13. Here we have at the latter part of the book of Corinth, the letter to the Corinthians, the carnal church, mind you. Paul is admonishing the men of the church. And notice what he says. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Now, we've studied this out before. We've looked at this watching as a maintaining that foundation. We've looked at this standing as we're supposed to stand fast in the faith. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So if we're standing fast in the faith, we're standing fast in the Word. 
But then we have that unique phrase, quit you like men, because in our modern, modern culture, quit means to give up or to stop. I get irritated at work. I've been pushed too far. I'm not compensated the way that I felt I should be compensated. I march into my boss's office and I say, I what? Quit. I'm done. I'm finished. I give up on this. I'm done with it. But the word quit doesn't just mean to finish or to give up. It means to see it through to the end. And so when you see this word used again in 1 Samuel chapter 4, in the way of battle, the army was told to quit themselves like men, to be ready to fight to the bitter end. And the, 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 the Apostle Paul uses the same phraseology when he's admonishing the men of the church. Watch ye, stand fast, quit you like men. See it through to the end. Don't give up. Oh, life is getting hard. I am amazed, and myself included, myself included, I am amazed at how many people think that life is hard now. When we probably live in the easiest society that has ever existed on the face of this earth, we do not have to walk, we do not have to walk two days to get to church once a month hoping that the preacher goes longer than four hours because we're hungry and thirsty for the things of God. We don't have to do that. We can get in very nice vehicles and drive. And we can go three times a week, or two times a week, or five times a week. We don't have only one church to choose from. We have a plethora of churches. There's some good churches in this town, amen? We should be working together to spread the gospel. That's another message for another time. There's some good churches in this town. There's some God-fearing Christians, members here that are members at other churches. We're blessed. Amen? And yet, how often do we wake up on Sunday morning because we've had a hard week, because we put in a good eight hours a day with an hour break and as many, or an hour lunch and as many breaks as we want because it's now government mandated. You have to take breaks. You can get whatever you want to drink whenever you want it because there's water fountains everywhere. Amen? you get too hot, you go stand in front of a fan. Amen? You know what I'm saying? You get too cold, you, you, you put on more jackets or blankets. Or, or, or you can go to Miss Karen's house and it's going to be plenty warm there. Amen? <laughs> and sweat lodge ministry. No, I'm just kidding. Amen? I'm not complaining. I'm just pointing out facts. What am I saying? We're blessed. But what do we do? Oh, I just had such a hard week. I can't go to church today. Amen? It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that we stayed up on Saturday night till 2 in the morning watching a championship ball game. Amen? Amen. Logan's with me. He's leading singing and he's saying amen. Out of the mouths of babes. Amen? <laughs> but you see what we're saying here? We need some men that'll determine, I'm going to be godly. And this is more important than anything. And yeah, I may be tired. And man, I really don't want to go on whatever activity we have planned. But I need to be there. Because my soul needs some encouragement. 
I need to be there because my soul needs lifted up. I need to be there because I'm hungry to see what God's going to do. Even just through the fellowship with other believers, we need some godly men that will put God first. That's who needs to consider Christ. Number two, not only do we need some godly men, we need some virtuous women. Psalm 31, or Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, let's look. Proverbs 31. We need some ladies. We need some ladies who will determine that this book, that God is more important than anything else in this life. Anything. Something happens to my children, God's more important. Amen. That's a hard thing for a mother to do. It's an easy thing for a father to talk about. It's a hard thing for a mother to act upon. It's a hard thing for a father to act upon. But, but in all honesty, if we, do our, if we take our children and we put what they have going on before God, then what have we done? We've created idols. And what happens when we've created idols? What happened to the idols in the Old Testament? Every time. God judged Israel. And almost every time, either Israel tore down the idols or God took them away from Israel. Amen. Amen. I wonder how many of us have enough of the fear of God in us to where we wouldn't put our children before the things of God out of fear that He would just take away our idols. Amen. We don't think about it that way. We think, I labored over that child. I've invested in that child. I've put them through camp. I've put them through fill in the blank. That's my child. No, they're not. Not yours. Don't belong to you. They were a gift. They're not yours to keep. They're not yours to worry about. They're They're a gift from God that you are to steward. And what do we do with gifts? We give them back to God as faithful servants. We say, God, this is yours. I'm just trying to raise up my children so that they can live godly in this awful, wicked world and so they don't have to come crawling to mom and dad because they've messed up again, although the door is always open because repentance is always available because God is a God of forgiveness and that's what He teaches us as godly men and as virtuous women. But I don't want that to be their life. I want them to grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, not in the nurture and admonition of Nathan Browning. Not in the nurture and admonition of you. We want some godly men and virtuous women because virtuous women are worth more than anything this world has to offer. You're in Proverbs 31. Look at verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price, her price is far above rubies. Far above rubies. Notice verse 11. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of what? Do you know what that is? Material things. He trusts you so that you have no... Listen, he doesn't need anything. He's got God and he's got you. Anything else in this life is just extra. He doesn't need, he doesn't have to slave, he doesn't have to work 80 hours a week to try to provide because his wife is a materialistic person. Amen. Because he has a virtuous woman that loves God and puts Christ first. So we need some godly men. 
Godly men will consider Him. Virtuous women will consider Him. Number three, Christ-centered homes. Christ-centered homes. Turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Look with me. Verse 1. We did a, a study on the home last year. And we'll probably do something like that again shortly. Not the exact same study, obviously, but we'll do something similar to that shortly, hopefully, Lord willing. But all of this, we're in Psalm 127, verse 1. Let's read this verse. Look at it with me. Except who? The Lord. Do what? Build the house. They labor in what? Vain that build it. Except who? The Lord. Keep the what? City. The watchman waketh but in vain. What is the teaching? If it's not Christ that builds the home, if it's not Christ that's protecting the city, then our labor and our protection is nothing. Because you can't protect your family. Men, let me help you with something. You can't protect your wives. Not the way that you want. You can't protect your children. Moms, you can't protect your babies. Who can? He can. Except the Lord keep the city. The Lord's been given full and covers to say, God, as for me and my house, we're going to serve You. We're going to trust You. God, You want me to go to Africa? I'm taking my family to Africa because they're going to be safer there than they are here because I can't do anything in either place. You're in control. Amen. Now that's the furthest extent. That's, what, that's always everybody's fear, isn't it? I don't want my children... I love if my children get, in, get involved in ministry, but oh Lord, please don't let them get called to... You know, Istanbul, Amen. Mongolia. You know, some of us, we don't want our children to leave Hawassi. We don't want our children to leave and go anywhere. Lord, don't. Now, listen, I'm not talking about the natural desire to want to be around your children. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about putting them before the work of God in their life. That's what we're talking about. Amen. My mom. Love my mom. I remember when I surrendered the call to preach. Had no idea what God had in store for my life. I was 11 years old. I just knew God had put a desire in my heart to study His Word and to preach it. That's all I knew. Didn't know if I was going to Africa. Didn't know if I was going to Asia. I didn't know if I'd be living in Asheville all my life. No idea. Zero clue. 11-year-olds, no clue. Amen? 21-year-olds, no clue. Amen? Some 30-year-olds, no clue. Amen? That's a different story for another time. But I knew I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. And I knew that God had called me to preach. And so I went and I told my mom. And I told my dad. Their reaction was not what I expected. Why was that? Because there was no reaction. <laughs> Amen? It wasn't a, oh no, he's going to get in the ministry. And it also wasn't a, woohoo, throw a party, let's have a cake, we got a preacher boy. Amen. It wasn't. It was just, this was my dad's response. You do what God wants you to do. And my mom's response, 
was the same as his. And so, she, so my, mom, my mom and dad both told me I probably needed to go tell my preacher and my uncle. Most of y'all know Uncle Jamie. He's been here before. Love my Uncle Jamie. One of my best mentors. I went and told both of them. And you want to know what? No reaction. Amen? Not a whole no, they're going to send Nathan in. But also not a woohoo, let's party. We've got a preacher boy in our church. None of that. What was it? We're going to help you. But you follow God. Many, many years later, dad's passed. I'm older. I'd run from God's calling. Tried to do my own thing. Wanted to go and be in comedy because I'm that funny. Amen. Amen. Not really. That's okay to laugh at that. Amen. <laughs> Just shows you how unfunny I am. No. I wanted to do other things. God had a different plan. God convicted my heart. And I remember the day that I told mom, I'd made things right with the Lord. I'd enrolled in Bible college that I was going to follow the path that God had laid for me. And I remember my mom's reaction was the same one ten years prior. You do what God tells you to do. There was no trying to stop me from going anywhere. My college was going to be in Florida. Seven and a half hours, six and a half hours, depending on who's driving, amen, from mom. Had no idea. I had only ever been to Canada, and that was with my uncle, and that was only for a few months. And we didn't have cell phones. That was back, y'all remember the 1-800 numbers you called to get two cents a minute or something like that? It was like 1-8, it was like 10-10-220 or something like that. You dial 10-10-220, and then you hit one in the, in the area code, and then you dialed the number. And so I got to talk to my mom once a month, the six months I lived in Canada, because that was what we could afford, amen? But there was none of this, don't do it, have a backup plan, none of that. It was none of that. And I remember after I finished Bible college and Beth and I had been married, Mom and I had been talking and I just, you know, one time I remember telling her about the, I remember telling her about my thoughts on their reaction and how there was no reaction. Amen? I was expecting, woo! There wasn't one. And she said, well, son, here's the thing. I never wanted you to not do ministry because of me. But I also didn't want you to be a mama called preacher. You know what I'm talking about? I wanted you to do what you knew God wanted you to do. Why? Did we have a perfect home? No. Far from it. But we had a Christ honoring home. We had a home where mom and dad determined. Where dad spent his last days alive trying to help me raise money to go on my very first missions trip. Where when he died three days before we were supposed to fly out and go on that missions trip, and I didn't know if I should go, I was just in a fog, 16 years old, only been 16 a week, supposed to fly and leave the country for a week and to go on a missions trip to San Salvador with my church, uh, with, a church with a group of 30 teenagers and, and, and 10 leaders, and, and had no idea what was going to happen, had no idea if I should go, didn't want to leave my family. I was afraid to leave anything because somebody else might die while I'm gone. Mom said, son, you need to go. You need to go. You know this is what God wants you to do. He gave you the money to do it. 
and you know your dad wouldn't you want you staying around pouting, amen, because he's in a better place. And so I went. Now that's not to say anything about me. If anything, I'm trying to honor my mother and father right now. I'm trying to point to the fact that that's who needs to consider him. We need some God-honoring homes. Some of you have young children. Some of you, your children are all grown. Some of you still have teenagers at home. Mom and dad, you need to determine now, God, whatever you want for my babies, I'm out of the way. Because I want them to live for you. Are you going to always understand it? No. Are they always going to make decisions that please you? No. Absolutely not. But you honor Christ in your home, and you let Him take care, He will build the house. He will keep the city. He will protect. He will guide. So, who needs to consider Him? Godly men, virtuous women, Christ-honoring homes. And then number four, a unified body of believers. Who should consider Him? This unified body of believers. We need to consider Christ in everything that we do as a church. Every step that we take, every, every upgrade, every maintenance, every trip, every opportunity, we need to consider Christ. Is this going to honor Christ or not? Turn to Psalm 133. You're in Psalm 127. Turn over to Psalm 133. Verse 1. Behold, how what? Good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in what? Unity. How good and how pleasant. It's good and pleasant for us to get along as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 3. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes, Endeavoring to keep the what? Unity of the what? Spirit. Whose unity are we keeping? Our own opinions unified? No, it's the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Look at verse 2. It tells us how the Apostle Paul approached this subject of unity. And it tells us how we can be unified in Christ. Now, we already know. Let's just sidebar real quick. Side note. What are we unified in? Is it my direction as a pastor? No. Is it, is it our deacon's leadership? No. Is it our Sunday school teachers? No. What are we unified in? Doctrine. We're unified in this. Not my opinion of what this book says, but what this book just clearly says. Scripture teaches us that there is one interpretation. One. Not many. We understand that, right? There's one interpretation of the Word of God. We learn from Joseph who the interpreter is. Who's the interpreter? God. And so it's unity... Of the Spirit, verse 3, that's a capital S. 
So we know that's talking about the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace. One body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. What's the context? Our spiritual life. This is a spiritual context. How do we know? Well, let's start with one father. Do you have one father? You have an earthly father and a heavenly father. That's two. Amen? But the context here is spiritual. One body. What body is he talking about? Body of believers. Is he talking just at Calvary Baptist Church? No. Because there was the body of Christ before this church was ever chartered. Amen. And if the Lord tarries is coming and everyone here dies or passes on or the door shut, God forbid, for whatever reason, will the body of Christ still exist? Yes. Because He's not just talking about us. So when we look at who should consider Christ a unified body of believers... We're not just talking about us as a church. We need to be unified with other Christians to bring glory to God to accomplish His will on this earth. What's His will? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's His will. What else is His will? That we grow in unity, in doctrine. So who should consider Christ? How do we do that? How do we grow in unity? By the Apostle Paul's example in verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in what? Love. Forbearing one another in love. What is that called? Serving. Here's the thing that I want to make sure that we understand. We've been kind of... We talk about this sometimes... But I don't know if I ever, if, if, if I speak it clearly enough. This church, church in, gen- in general, in general, is not about you. Amen? It's not about you. Well, I'm looking for a church that makes me. Well, then you're looking for the wrong thing. What is the purpose of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together? Because when you're not here, someone else isn't being lifted up, edified, exhorted that needed you. That's what Hebrews is talking about. That's the context. That forsaking is talking about how we serve one another. When we enter those doors, I don't come here for me. I come here for you. I come to this church and I I study and I preach and, and, and I pray for you pastor's supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do too. You don't come to this church based on what you get out of it. You come out of what you can give. Now I'm not talking, what's the context we've been talking about? Am I talking about this? No. I'm talking about spiritually. What can you do to encourage Brother Lance today? What can you do to encourage Brother David today? What can you do when you walk in those doors to be an encouragement to Brother Jerry or Brother Matt or Miss Imogene or Miss Elena? What can you do to encourage one another? That's what church is about. That's what the unifying of the body is about. We're unified in doctrine so that we can serve each other. Because there are some weeks you come in that building, you come in these doors, 
And you're ready to serve, but you just don't have the strength almost. Amen? You don't have the strength to serve anybody. But you're here and you're going to try. Even if it's just you, even if you just are smiling at somebody to make them have a better day. You come in that door and all of a sudden you're refreshed and encouraged because brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so hugged your neck. Said, man, I love you. Been praying for you this week. Care about you. Anything you need, anything I can do for you. I don't have a lot of money, but I can pray to the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I can pray to the God of peace. That's what church is about. And if we're considering Him as a unified body of believers, then we will be a church that is head and shoulders above the rest for His glory.